2: and so let's get started with Kim. Good morning, Kim.
3: Good morning, Bob. Um,
2: good morning.
3: I called you a couple of times about hikama. And I finally yes. started digging them up. And they're nothing more than like a long, fat taproot. What happened? Did they not get enough water? Because I have them in a raised bed. And I thought maybe that was not a good place to put them.
2: Well, and is there a call you planted them a little late, like May or so?
3: Yes, I did.
2: I think probably getting them in a little late lack of water could certainly have caused some issues. How do the vines look and uh I think you told me before they hadn't started blooming yet
3: no they have they hadn't bloomed, but the vines are beautiful, like they jumped over onto a um tomato cage and are just like going crazy, Uh, but yeah, they were slow to get started as far as, you know, getting really big, and um, so when do you plant yours?
2: I plant mine generally late March, early April, just as soon as we're past the danger of freezing weather. Right. I suspect your since they are going strong, since they haven't bloomed yet, I think they just, um I think we're just a little late getting them started. Don't give up on them. Don't, you know, if this turns out to be a typical South Texas fall, whatever that is, you're probably going to have another good month of growing time before they, you know are once the tops freeze back that of course is all they're going to do but i would be fertilizing them i would be watering them and um let's give another month in the ground and see if those bulbs don't begin to fill out uh if i'm, I'm surprised that they aren't bigger now but if they aren't it could be uh the combination little late getting them in not as much water as they would like are you feeding regularly with has or something like that um, well,
3: I've been giving them uh, like a box farm, um, the vegetable. Okay. Fertilizer.
2: Yeah, that should be good. Uh, is it liquid or dry?
3: It's a dry.
2: Yeah. Um, what I do, the other thing, and this is uh, in general on pretty much everything. Uh, I will use a dry fertilizer when I plant just to get things off to a good start. And after 6, eight, ten weeks in the ground, I start hitting them with a liquid fertilizer. And Fox Farm makes some good liquid fertilizers. Uh, I just happen to use Medina's Has to Grow. And uh, I use that like every two weeks. And I just I think the, the dry fertilizers have a lot more staying power. They're going to be in the ground for a much longer period of time feeding. But the liquid Fertilizers are much more fast-acting. So I like putting the dry fertilizer in, getting started, getting things off to, you know, just to a good start and having that good steady slow-release nutrient source. But after, you know, after they've been in for a while, I pretty much switch over to the liquid because it uh, is available to the plant so much more quickly. But let's let's talk again and then... You know, in two or three weeks, and dig up another one and see, see if you're getting any growth out of them because they, they, you know, sounds to me like you're doing everything right. Raised bed is a fine place to grow them, but lack of water, of course, could be an right. issue. But if you, if it was a water issue, I wouldn't think your vines would look that good. So, right. Um, well,
3: and I've been watering them like daily because the, the raised beds dry <laughs> out so quickly. That's what I right. really
2: about them so, well um, keep okay. keep feeding, keep watering, and let me know when those buds start appearing um, because they should bloom, and I think that's always a pretty good indication of when the when the bulb itself, when the edible portion of the jicama is uh going to be ready to harvest so let's uh Let's give a little bit longer, and um, and just keep me posted. I, I think you're doing everything right. I wouldn't do anything differently, except I would, you know, grab some uh, liquid fertilizer of whatever sort, I'd be using that every couple of weeks on them.
3: Okay, I'll give it a try. <laughs> Thank you. I uh,
2: keep me posted, Kim. <laughs> Thanks for All the right, call this okay. morning. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Next up is Javier. Good morning, Javier. Oh, Bob. Morning. Good morning, sir. A uh,
4: couple of quick questions. Uh, one time, I asked you about uh, a uh, plant uh, kind of like a uh, kind of like a Twinkie, but it was uh, yellow and it, it grows flush on the ground. And they told me at the time I told you that it was uh, bear claw, but I made a mistake. It was called, or the guy had told me, it was lion, lion's claw. Uh, again, it was like bright yellow, uh, kind of like a fat Twinkie, uh, uh, and again it goes like flush on the. It doesn't. It doesn't have like a stem. Uh,
2: it's flush on yeah, the ground. it doesn't really have leaves. It's just sort of a sort of glove. It's a fungus of some sort. It, uh, uh, you know, there's you know tens of thousands of different kinds of fungi. And the way that they live, they live on, they're called saprophytes. They live on decaying organic material in the soil. And oh. if, if you were to dig down in, you would find just kind of a little mass of, Oh, whitish fibers, and then when it's time for them to reproduce, they start making this bigger mass on the surface of the ground, which is how they form spores, which is how they reproduce. But they don't really have any green parts to them, do they? Yeah, no, it's a plant. Okay, it has green leaves?
4: It has green leaves, leaves, but... Around it, not, like I said, it, it it it's not like a, it doesn't come off a of stem. It was like on the ground, uh, flush on the ground, and the leaves around it, but it's a plant. Uh, a mm. flower, I guess, because it was bright yellow.
2: And okay, the, leaf- the flower is bright I'm sorry, I misunderstood. I thought you said the plant was bright yellow. But the, the flower is bright yellow. Right. And it is, it's like a, is it like a vine or? A, no,
4: no, no. It, it's a, it, 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 again, it's like a, like a Twinkie. Uh, the the form is like a Twinkie, but a little bit more fatter, uh, wider and girth. But uh, it was flush on the, on the, uh, on the ground. It doesn't come off of stem. And they had uh, some leaves around it. And at the time, the guy said it was called lion's claw. And when I told you last time, I made a mistake. I said bird's claw, but I, I meant to. Uh, I, later, I remembered it was.
2: He said it was. I don't know if that's the correct name, but he said lion's claw. <laughs> well, that's a common name. That's obviously not a scientific name. Right. Uh, Javier, I that doesn't is are uh, is the stem, is the part on the ground very. Uh, succulent, very, very kind of thick, thick and watery or woody.
5: Remember
4: exactly, because it was a few years ago. uh, We bought it at a nursery in San Marcos, uh, which is no longer there. And and I've never seen that. After we bought it and brought it home, we never saw them again, nowhere else. And and again, the, the nursery is gone, so you know, and I've never seen it nowhere else. So I figured maybe
2: you would know. Uh, it sounds like some sort of succulent, but boy, it sure doesn't. Uh, it sure doesn't ring a bell. Most of these things, uh, well, there's some of them that are yellow flower. Most of them are pink to lavender colored. Um, you, you don't have a picture of it by any chance, do you? Oh no, uh, but you know. Okay, well let me uh, let me uh, look into it. I um I you know, I know oh, there's I know lion's mane, I know several different things, but that's the problem with common names since they they don't always narrow it down a whole lot, but uh uh or maybe someone else who has grown that will call in and give us a hint. But that uh that doesn't I'm afraid that doesn't ring a bell. I I I I will work on it but uh you've stumped me this morning.
4: <laughs> the other quick uh, question is, uh, there was a, a lady pushing a book on herbs and plants uh, for remedies, and she mentioned one plant, and I, I did not get the name uh, of a plant that uh, is for snake bite.
2: And I said, Bob would probably know that one. I would imagine that it is comfrey. Uh, I know we use no, comfrey. comfrey.
4: No, because I remember you You speak about Comfrey. Uh, in fact, i called one time uh, to your store, and they told me they didn't have it at the time. Uh, so I'm familiar with that. Uh, and it was not Comfrey, it's something else. Uh, I got the lady's name somewhere, so I, I see if I can find an email and ask her. But it, it's a different
2: plant, and, and it's a plant, not an herb, and it's for snake bites it probably then is one of the agaves uh there's an agave out in west texas they call the agave lechuguilla and they it has a very sharp little point on it and they actually use this plant they they you know poke the skin around the area of the snake bite and it causes a lot of swelling and uh slows down the movement of the venom that's an old native american uh um Oh, sort of a traditional medicine way of dealing with snake bite. That's the only other plant that I know of, but uh, I, I think it's probably one of the agaves, and it's probably one called agave lechigia, L-E-C-H. Okay,
4: okay, well, thank
2: you, Bob. Javier, it's good to talk to you. Thank you, sir. And I'll go to work on that uh, yellow-flowered oddball plant, <laughs> lion's claw. I'll look that up and see if we can figure out anything under that name. <laughs> you. Have a good day. All right, uh, Neil is up next, and it'll be Marcy and John. Good morning, Neil. Good
5: morning, Bob. Uh, nice uh, job getting that uh, gig down uh, at the uh, Pearl. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, it's just, it's always so much fun being being out in the, uh, it's absolutely gorgeous morning, I have to say. There have been a couple of mornings we almost froze to death down here, yeah. but it just shows you uh, the difference in the year uh, today, and it is very, very comfortable temperature-wise, and humidity feels like it's about 110%, but uh, it's just not a bad day at all. Folks are going to okay. really enjoy getting out today.
5: Hey. What's going on with you? Well... Uh uh, last week uh well actually for a couple months now i've been really worried about a uh, an oak tree that's about 40 years old and it was uh losing all its uh, limbs and all the uh, the leaves were falling off of it. And there were just a few branches left with green leaves on it. So I called in uh, three different uh, arborists, and they all said, yeah, it's on its last leg. And it's about 35 or 40 years old. Now, it was a red oak. Uh, I, that's the three types of trees I have on the property are red oak, bur oak, and live oak. The only one I know mm-hmm. that it was not was a bur oak. So uh, I had uh, the, the tree taken down, and okay.
6: uh,
5: and uh, it's about uh, 14, 15 inches diameter. And uh, now I have a stump uh, that's uh, level with the ground. And uh, I notice, uh, I remember you saying something about putting saltpeter in it. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, if you're if you're wanting to rot the stump away, right. uh, that is that's the best thing to do. It take your drill and drill several holes, oh half an inch, right. three quarters inch diameter, as deeply as you can down into the stump, and you fill with saltpeter, potassium nitrate, stump remover, whatever name you're buying it under. Uh, you fill, you just pack the little holes with that. Red oak is a fairly soft wood, uh-huh. so it goes to work pretty quickly, and the uh, potassium nitrate is what is, is saltpeter is. It reacts with the wood fiber to form something that we call, um, nitrocellulose, which is Very burnable. I don't want to say it's flammable in a highly refined form. It is certainly flammable. But you, you drill the holes, you put it in, you let it stand for, oh, six weeks or so. And then just put a couple of charcoal briquettes on top and light. And it just smolders all the way down to the ground. It just literally burns the stump up. Doesn't, doesn't flame up or anything like that. It just, you know, just slowly, uh, burns and totally deteriorates the stump. And, Short of a stump grinder, that's that's the quickest way to get rid of a stump like well,
5: that. Well, here's the thing: uh, that uh, uh, briquettes are not going to work for me because I don't even have a, a barbecue anymore. I'm too old for that stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs>
6: you
5: know, eighty-one years old. So I had to have somebody do it. And I do have a a, a chainsaw, and uh, I was thinking of uh, do like uh, like I do on my wood projects when I want to cut a. Oh, uh, a piece out of a piece of wood. I put. Uh, I cut little uh, ridges in the in the wood, and then use a, a hammer and knock them out. Mm-hmm. Can I do that with that uh, uh, stump as well?
2: Uh, it sounds to me like a lot of work, but you certainly well, I... can do do that. Yeah.
5: Yeah, you know, most of the work is done by the uh the chainsaw, you know, just cutting the grooves in it, then just taking a little hammer and knock those pieces out that uh, you cut out. Uh Anyway, uh should I cover the uh the, the with a python or something so it doesn't get watered uh, when it rains?
2: No, that doesn't make any difference at all. Okay. Yeah, the 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 rain if anything will sort of speed things up, but uh, it's it yeah, you can Do that. Just you know, be very careful working out close to the ground with a chainsaw, because you sure mess up that chain in a hurry hitting any kind of wood. And if you're doing kind of a plunge cut to get down deeper into it. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> you've got to hold on pretty tight to that saw. Chainsaws are the most useful tools in the world, and they're also the most dangerous. You sound pretty right. experienced with it, so just be super careful and don't mess up your chain hitting the surrounding soil. But, yeah, anything you can do to just... The, the more surface area you expose uh, so that it can rot, uh, uh-huh. you know, the faster it happens. So, sure. absolutely, do... Do whatever you can
5: okay one other question uh, uh, before uh, you go on the break uh, when uh, uh, when you put the stuff in uh, that uh, on that uh, uh, the saltpeter, and will that affect yeah. any of the other trees uh, in, in, uh, next to it? Because I have a couple of oak trees that are really uh, nice uh, that's about uh, 15, 20 feet away. Will that affect so
2: it, it, it might, but not in a negative fashion. It's uh, Saltpeter is basically a fertilizer. It's oh, one of those okay. synthetic materials that are not what we would choose, but okay. a, a lot of people use it as fertilizer on their plants, so it's certainly not going to hurt anything.
5: Okay, great, Bob. Any other things I should know about uh with that?
2: Just, you know, just be super careful. Uh I'm red sure oaks will. are the they are the wimps of the tree world. Your bur oaks, your live oaks are probably uh, going to outlive them 6 to 1 and the <laughs> red oaks just a lot of them suffered uh you know, we've had very wet weather, very dry weather, very yeah. wet weather. We've had sort of a very cyclical sort of water event, and um, uh, the
5: red uh, oaks are this, just... I think this is a red oak. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, mean, I know for sure it's not a burrow. Of course, I have those big uh, acorns uh coming off. The one <laughs> thing, so I
2: and, of course, and, yeah, if it's loose in its sleeves, it probably is. No, it's just... Uh, You know, sorry you lost the tree, but uh, it's just, it's not a tree I would plant in most situations. Nice fall color, but that's about as. I'm not
5: going to replace it because the grass underneath uh, needs the sunlight, so. And it's right on a busy sidewalk and street. So, you know, if that tree uh, uh, crashed down, <laughs> it would it could uh, damage some people, you
2: know. Well, sounds like you did the right thing getting rid of it. Use that saltpeter, it'll rot that stump away, and uh, you, you okay. can plant something more appropriate there. Okay, Silva, always I, good to talk to you. I mean, any, I'm sorry, Neil.
5: Any, yeah. uh, any amount that I should use uh, uh, for. Just incident?
2: enough. Just enough to fill up whatever grooves, uh, holes you make in big there. How should I cut? Um, again, all you're doing is exposing more surface area for the saltpeter to work on. So, so the,
5: more, uh, the more holes I put in it, the better, right?
2: And the deeper the hole, the better. Okay. Yeah.
5: good show. Okay, thanks, Bob. I appreciate that.
2: Hey, My pleasure. Thank thanks. you.
5: Have a, hey. have a nice weekend, Bob.
2: You do the same. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm
5: not going down uh, the the pearl, but I wish I could. Okay, great. Thanks, Bob.
2: Okay, Neil. It's good to talk to you. Thank you. All right, let's try to get Marcy in here before the break. Good morning, Marcy.
7: Good morning. I'm going to talk fast. Um,
2: Well, we can always hold you over if we run out of time. So (laughs) let's get started. Yeah.
7: Okay. Well, one thing, if I could go to that herb market today, Believe me, I would, but I have to work all day, so I'm very disciplined. I live in Richmond, Texas. I'm I was oh, going to okay. drive there, but anyway, um, so I have I had this honeydew vine, and I planted the seeds in like May fifth, and finally, all all summer I've had trouble getting bees, but finally I started getting bees, and I got two honeydew, and okay. I left them on the vine as as long as I could. They really weren't growing anymore, and um, the the stem turned brown, so I thought, okay, well they're ready to pick. So I picked them, and I left them on the counter for like two or three weeks, at least two weeks, trying to see if they would ripen because they were really hard. So finally, uh-huh. um, I just I cut one, and it was just awful. I mean, it had no flavor, it wasn't sweet, and I am wondering, did I leave it? Did I take it off the vine too um, quickly or?
2: Well, once it turns brown. When did you When did you plant these, Marcy?
7: May May fifth.
2: Okay, um, that is a little late. Normally, we'd yeah, like to get the melons in um, so that they can grow and you know sweeten up, so to speak, before the real oh bitterly hot summer um, sets yeah. in. And usually, the two things that it takes you need to get them planted early and just copious amounts of water. That's, uh, that's, okay. those are the two main things. Um, and so, I, you know, it's, there are just a lot of things that can contribute to the melons not okay. being as. You know, as sweet as what we're looking for, and to some extent, it's varietal too. Are you? Uh...
7: Yeah, I planted the wrong variety. This the reason I planted it so late is I had a cucumber in there, and it was just not doing well. So
2: <laughs> okay. I
7: pulled it, and I thought, well, and I had not the right Honeydew variety, and I just thought, oh, well, I'll just plant it in here and see, and and it started growing, and I'm, you know, I thought, well, so that's what that's kind of what happened. <laughs>
2: Sort of an accidental <laughs> garden addition yeah and, well if yeah, you w- to, yeah. if if you if you want to grow one of my favorite varieties on this type of melons there's there's one called sweet cicada, i think it's c i c a d a or something like that that one is consistently good and sweet it's uh Oh, the melon's a little bit bigger than a softball, and just, mm-hmm. I've never had a bad one of those, but do try to get them in as soon as you feel like we're past the danger of freezing weather. Um, mm-hmm. As you know, on all melons, just like squash and cucumbers and things, the male flowers and female flowers are separate. If you don't have adequate bee activity, just get a little paintbrush and get in there and play honeybee yourself. Just dust that paintbrush around in the male flower, and then just dust around the female flower you'll do as good a job as the bees do and that way you can uh you know you can get your get your melon set um and beyond that you know just fertilize your water you should be able to grow a really really good melon but varieties are you know important uh i still like on cantaloupes i still like the Hales. uh Oh, H-A-L-E they, uh, uh, They've they been around for a lot of years And that one very consistently uh, Produces okay. very well for me So uh, give it a try again I think you can be very successful I think you said a couple of things Going against you this year
7: Okay, do you have time for a couple other?
2: Absolutely
7: Okay Well, one other thing is I planted t- that Tatumi squash Because I've I have a new house, and I thought, well, this is. I'm gonna to to try to have a good crop this year because I never have. So I took your advice. I planted the seed. Um, the vine has been amazing. Like it's it's green, perfect, um, and it just hasn't produced. And I I have tried to hand pollinate, and then I just I just quit messing with. it. I was just like, just just leave it. There's bees now. Um, I did see one The other day One squash This this was planted Months ago Okay um, And I think Something ate it Because I saw it One day And the next day It wasn't there so I'm pretty <laughs> sure Something ate that one
2: Raccoons um, had, Possums yeah, yeah There are plenty Of things like live, them
7: Yeah So the other thing um, So there's still hope Just keep it in Right There's still hope Absolutely
2: Okay Yes There's still some time Is Is this garden plot In full sun
7: Yes, definitely. Okay.
2: That's uh, it's okay. New, That's... It's
7: a new bed. Um, but I did, you know, I, I do the fertilizing. I do everything I possibly can. I, I plant, you know, dry fertilizer, and then I do uh, has to grow. And, I mean, I try literally everything that I can to keep things happy. Um, the other thing <laughs> I have is I have a cucumber vine um, that I planted. It was a small plant. I planted it um, August 24th. And it just now started producing cucumbers. It has one decent size that is, hopefully, I'm just waiting for it to get bigger. Um, right. But the, the plant, it doesn't look good, and I try to water it. I mean, I, I don't want to overwater it, and it's in a cloth bag. Is it possible to overwater in a cloth bag? Maybe I need to water it more. It's yellow, yellow and brown leaves.
2: Well, what I always tell people, there's no such thing as too much water, but there is too often. So okay. as long as you're only watering when you can stick your finger down in the soil and it's dry about an inch deep, then it's time to water very thoroughly again. But when you water, okay. uh, water it, you know, very, very thoroughly. Spring okay. cucumbers are usually a slam dunk. Everybody usually does okay. pretty well with yeah. spring cucumbers. Fall is fall is sort of a little more iffy thing and this has been just a weird year weather-wise between being just you know horribly hot and then we finally have cooled off a little bit but september was the hottest on record for this area and i have to say i don't know anybody that's really gotten a good fall crop of cucumbers so let's let's get a good spring crop in what variety are you growing on the cucumbers
7: Okay, I have. I think it's called Straight Eight, and uh-huh. the other one I wanted to tell you that is successful is I planted lemon cucumber. Oh yeah, <laughs> months ago, and I have gotten a few. I mean, enough to keep me having cucumbers on my salad. I mean, not a bumper crop, but it's still growing. And so that's one thing that I can say I did have success with. Um, but anyway, you I interrupted you okay. i wanted to uh yeah go ahead
2: these these are new beds was this new soil or did you improve soil that was already in place uh tell me about okay. your beds where you're planting
7: it was construction sand with like nothing but sand um so okay. i tried to i re, i did remove as much as i could of that and i just used uh new soil um you know, basically, it was all had to be brand new soil. And okay,
2: okay, that's that's fine. And this uh, and and this was uh, purchased soil. This wasn't something from your own property. This was soil that you got from purchased. New Earth or somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have to yeah. tell you that I don't care whose soil it is. It takes a year or two for that soil to really mellow out. I think it's a matter okay. that the compost in it is not as well, broken down as it should be. And quite frankly, very few people... Grow a good garden the first year When it is a new blended Soil that you've put in So I think that has probably Worked against you a little bit I suspect that next year Things are going to It's going to seem like just a whole different world I think you're going to find that Once that soil is set and aged for a year That just almost Magically you're going to have about four times As much production And I I just I, I used to fuss at Malcolm Beck you know, about selling his compost before it was really finished, and he said, Bob, I have to, because if I leave it till it's really finished, it's shrunk down to half of its volume, and I can't charge enough money to, you know, to sell it. So... Uh, New soil, new gardens, uh, I would say double the amount of fertilizer that you're using. I think that uh, you've, it just, first year is always a challenge. So um, get things in at the proper time. I think you're going to find next year is just going to be infinitely different. Uh, as okay. far as how easily things grow for you. And I think that's maybe one reason that what production you've gotten has been more toward the end of the season this year while that that soil's mm-hmm. had some time to mellow mm-hmm. out. So uh, I think okay. things are going to be, be much better in the next year for you, Marcy.
7: Well, that gives me a lot of hope. Thank you.
2: I will look forward <laughs> to hearing about it. <laughs> Thank All you. Right. Okay, okay, have okay. a
7: good
2: day. You too. Okay. Goodbye. All right, uh, let's talk to John next. Good morning, John. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. I've got a couple of questions
8: about my pecans. Okay. Uh, the first thing is uh, the county has just uh, done some more tree trimming work along uh, our road, and uh-huh. I was able to acquire a couple of uh, truckloads of uh, uh, newly mulched or newly shredded cedar. And, okay. And uh, number one question is, How long do I need to let that mellow? I mean, right now I can smell it probably (laughs) 500 feet away and it just smells (laughs) great.
2: (laughs) Well,. It doesn't, you don't have to wait at all on that. Uh, A lot of people say cedar has something that that retards growth. We call it alleliopathy. And that simply isn't true with the cedar. The cedar impedes the growth of anything underneath it because it sheds out all the light or it screens out all the light and kind of keeps the water from ever getting the ground underneath it but there is nothing in cedar mulch that is going to impact your pecan trees negatively at all now i will tell you that fresh mulch sometimes it's a little bit harder to get the water through it if i were going to make that mulch even better i would turn it into a what we call a living mulch, and that means adding maybe about one part compost, eight or ten parts of the cedar mulch, but there's absolutely no reason to wait. Uh, your pecan trees would appreciate that today. Well,
8: I have a, a drip irrigation system that would be under the
2: mulch. Oh, okay. Well, that's perfect. How how yeah. big are your pecan trees? How old are they? Well,
8: that's, that's the second question. They uh, planted them six years ago, and... Uh-huh. Uh, they were flattened in the Memorial Day flood, and, okay uh I had fifteen of them, and I stood them all up and uh <clears throat> eleven survived, and I planted one more, and so they're they're kind of struggling they are kind of beat up, but they're uh probably <laughs> fifteen eighteen feet tall now, very uh, good. Calper is probably uh, two inches.
2: Oh yeah. So, well, you've got and, some. You've got healthy, good young trees. I mean, pecans are bottomland trees by nature, so uh, Mother Nature just just gave you a little bit of a tough start to them. But the, uh, in the Memorial Day floods, did you get a significant amount of silt washed in, or was it just uh, macing moving water?
8: Uh, it was well. There was. 12 feet of water over the orchard and uh, I had my garden uh, right um, upstream from it and it sucked all of the topsoil out of my garden and uh, stripped it down. Uh, no, there was very little silt, I think.
2: Okay, well, that's good, because so often you get just a crusty layer that water just doesn't penetrate when you get that alluvial stuff washes in on top of it. So um, I would just, like I say, I would maybe mix a little compost with your... Uh, chip cedar, and I'd get it out as soon as possible. There's absolutely no reason to wait. Don't put it right up against the trunk, but, uh, out over the root zone of the trees, three, four inches deep, uh, um, yeah, you're, you're doing good things. You say you don't get it up next to the trunk. No, don't put it up against the trunk. You don't want right. anything that impedes air circulation around the trunk. But beginning, you know, a foot, two feet out, uh, just a nice thick blanket of that stuff over the surface of the ground will make your trees very happy.
8: Now, the second question is, uh, I, I, since I'm new to this and for the past four years I've been rebuilding my home, uh, I haven't paid any attention to them fertilizing. What kind of program should I have to fertilize about fertilizing pecans?
2: You know, pecans—they're gonna grow regardless of what you do or don't do. You want a nice slow controlled growth? You want a so you want a nice slow controlled release fertilizer. I don't care whether it's Medina or Maestro Grow or Nature's Creation or, you know, any of these products are very good. I'd be looking at four times a year. I always try to figure just the first of each season, first uh, day of fall, first day of winter, first day of spring, first day of summer, if you're looking to maximize your growth. Uh, and keep a good healthy growth that's that's what i'd be doing for them and i'd be using a dry fertilizer in this case uh, if you haven't fed recently i would get a couple of bags of fertilizer and put down we figure you know one to two pounds of fertilizer for every inch of trunk diameter so wow. two two and a half inch trees i'm going to figure five pounds of fertilizer around each tree I means 40 pound bags is going to do eight trees so uh, if possible, I'd put your fertilizer down first and then put the mulch on top of it sure. because this then puts the microbes right on top of the fertilizer that they're going to go to work on. But uh, I, ideally, four times a year. If you get around to twice a year, it's going to be fine. But it's just I always think back to my old uh, friend and mentor, Alton Grimm, got a bundle of 10 pecan trees, 10 identical trees, planted four of them in his mother's yard in San Antonio and the other six at his uh, farm up in the Waring area. And those trees in his mom's yard where they got the regular fertilizer, regular water, uh Ten, fifteen years later, those trees had trunks ten to twelve inches in diameter on them. The six trees that he planted at his farm, where the care was less intense, so to speak, were beautiful trees, but about half the size, about five inch diameter trunks so uh the speed of the growth uh is gonna depend on the care you give if you can feed four times a year if you can maintain that mulch you're pretty pretty much optimizing the situation to get good growth there,
8: okay. And what was the fertilizer that you
2: suggested? Any of your good basic organic products. Uh, Medina makes one called Growing Green. Maestro makes one called Texas Tea. Nature's Creation makes one they call Premium Lawn Food. Any of those products are going to be excellent. You don't don't spend the money to go and look for something that says specifically tree fertilizer or anything like that. Just any good basic organic fertilizer is going to be perfect. Sweet okay thank you so much let's bring up robert good morning robert good morning how are you doing oh i'm doing much better this morning and outside the beautiful saturday morning so uh, my day's off to a good start how about you I'm
9: doing pretty good, too. It's just too dark out here to see what it's like. Outside <laughs> right
2: there. Yes, it it happens. You say you just keep getting shorter and shorter, and unfortunately two more weeks are going to take away our evening daylight. So, yeah, that's
6: yeah,
2: uh, yeah. we just make the most of it. <laughs> yeah.
9: Well, like I say, we can only work in the day anyway, so it doesn't matter what time it is. It's daylight to daylight.
2: or sunset. There you go. Yes, sir.
9: Okay, I got a couple of questions a month or okay. so ago a month or so ago, you talked to Howard Garrett and he mentioned a plant i d app Do you happen to know what that was
2: oh man i I don't know of a plant i d app. I know that there is a place up at the herbarium. I want to say in Fort Worth that, uh, that they offer a plant ID service. And, um, I, that's the only thing I remember. I've, I've seen some plant ID apps and they're fair. But I think what, what Howard and Garrett and I were talking about was an actual service where you can send them a picture or an actual piece of the plant. Let me make a note to, uh, uh talk to Howard about that uh um, when I talked to him a little bit later this morning. But uh, I, I don't remember exactly uh how you would contact them, but um I, I wanna say it's uh, it's the uh herbarium possibly oh gosh, I think it's in Fort Worth actually. But let me get the exact details for you. What are you trying to identify?
9: I I've just got all kinds of weeds out here, and I just like to find out what they are, see how, whether they're harmful for my goats to eat, and stuff like that.
2: Well, some of them that's
9: look pretty nice, and, um, like some ground covers and stuff like that, but I just, you know, get interested to see what, what it is, and I thought, okay, what
4: is that?
2: <laughs> well, I hate to tell you, I've got a book on uh, grasses of Texas. It's about 400 pages long, and there are so many different things out there. So, yeah, that will be, uh, and, of course, you you pretty much, most of these things are most easily identified by the seed head that they put on. Very difficult with just a handful of exceptions, very difficult to make a definitive identification on a grass or a weed uh, the difference being whether you like it or not if you don't like it it's a weed if you like it it's a grass but uh it's you're probably going to need to wait until you actually see that seed head forming to be able to make a for sure determination on what it is but uh uh, the other source of information, of course, is your county extension agent. Most of those guys still have a pretty fair knowledge of uh, you know, what is safe or unsafe for livestock. And there are only two or three bad ones out there. But uh, um, I'll, let me ask Howard about that, and we'll see if we can't get you a good ID source.
9: Okay. And uh, a couple other questions, if it's all right. Go right ahead. I'd like to plant some carrots and radishes in containers. Okay. Like concrete most of the time, and then when it's not, it's slick mud. Hey, <laughs> you've <have> been there. <laughs> so, um, I'd like to know a good potting soil mix or potting mix to put into them to grow carrots and radishes.
2: Well, basically, any reasonable potting soil mix will work. Uh, I do not like peat moss-based mix. I like compost-based mixes. You could actually take some of that garden soil mud you know, brick, whatever you want to call it, if you took some of that basic soil and blended it with about two thirds soil, about one third compost, and then maybe add a little bit of green sand, maybe a little bit of lava sand, you can make your own soil mix that uh, works very well. I've been doing some excavating where I'm getting ready to put down some flagstone on uh, in my yard, and I've been just screening that soil out. And putting it over in a couple of beds, I'm creating. And, uh, your, your soil is, is, you can work with it. You can make it better. And the principal thing that you add is going to be compost. But if you want to go out and, and buy a soil mix, just a, a garden soil mix, maybe, um, uh, actually for growing root crops like that, I'm going to probably be looking for a good, uh, uh potting soil and fortify it with plenty of fertilizer, but uh, you should be able to do just fine. Uh, carrots, of course, you're going to need to I, – I would grow a half-long variety. Don't grow your super-long carrots, but uh, Danvers or Nantes uh, are a couple of good varieties. But uh, uh, just basically either buy or create a good potting soil, and you'll do fine on your root crops.
9: Okay. And is this a good time to start planting most?
2: Yes, absolutely. It started. It's cooled off enough now that uh, I think you're fine on all your root crops. In fact, the only thing I think we're still early, early for would be leaf spinach. I think most everything else uh, for the fall garden can go in right now.
9: Okay, great. All right, well, I think that takes care of everything I had to ask
2: about this time. Well, and remember on your seed... Be prepared to thin, thin, thin unless you are buying the so-called pelletized seed where they actually coat the seed. Um, and radish seeds are small. Carrot seeds are even smaller. And so if you just plant from a seed packet, you, no matter how hard you try, they're not going to be far enough spaced out when they come up. So, plan to get in and thin them out, or you will end up with all top and no root and that 's probably the most common problem that people that haven 't done it a lot before face is uh, they just love looking at all those beautiful little green plants, but unless you thin them out where they're depending on the what you're growing to probably to where they 're at least two inches apart, and you do this just as soon as they start having their true leaves on them um, you'll you'll wind up with all top and no roots, so uh, the thinning is the most important thing on your root crops.
9: Okay, and do you have any sweet uh, varieties of radishes you can recommend?
2: Virtually all of your radishes, if you give them adequate moisture, are going to be fairly sweet. Uh, There's one called French breakfast radish is one of my favorites. Um, If you want to grow a giant radish, there's one they call a watermelon radish that. Gosh, makes a bulb that's uh, you know three inches across, and it's fairly sweet. Sort of a combination pink and white flesh. Uh, There's another good one called Sparkler, is a small red radish. But all those are uh, will be good varieties for you. And just remember, the nutrient in the water is what's going to make them sweet. Let them get too dry, they'll get hot in a hurry on you.
9: Okay, so the more water I give them, the better off they
2: are. Up to a point. Just remember, water thoroughly. Let that soil dry and knuckle her so deep, and then water thoroughly again.
9: Okay. All right, great. Thank you very much, uh,
2: Bob. Oh, my pleasure, Robert. Appreciate the. You do the same, sir. Thank you. All right, back to gardening, and let's go straight to the phone lines. It is Eva's turn. Good morning, Eva. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today?
10: I am blessed, so. I'm able to get back out in the yard and do a little bit of work, so I need some help. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
2: Very good.
10: My lemon tree is so out of shape, I didn't know if I could prune some of it now or if I need to wait till after it freezes.
2: The best time, I, I, well, you can, I would not trim really a lemon or any other Uh, citrus tree right now and the reason is first of all because it will stimulate new growth which then might not have time to harden off before winter but the time i really like to prune citrus is while it's in bloom which is typically late january early february that way i can cut out the limbs that have the fewest flowers and therefore will have the least fruit leave the limbs with more flowers and potentially more fruit. so um, I, I feel like usually late February is about the best time to be trimming on your citrus. Now, if you need to do just a small amount of, oh, as Bill Bryson would say, tidy up on that tree just to make it look a little better, uh, just a little minor pruning is okay, but save the, save the major pruning for next spring.
10: Okay. I'm just trying to get it where I can wrap it better this fall because it is just, Hang and roll with lemons.
2: <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, if you need to just do some minor trimming just to make it easier to protect. And who knows, this crazy weather. We may not have to cover them too often this year. But uh, just minor pruning at this point and save the major stuff for about late February, early March.
10: Okay, next question is comfrey. Comfrey, I have planted, I don't know how many pieces that my husband ordered it off the um uh, computer and I planted all of the pieces and they all grew and I gave some of them away and I kept two. Now I put one in the ground and one in a pot. The one in the ground grows and then all of a sudden it just falls over and the bugs eat it and the other one in the pot I forget to water it sometimes so it's not growing up really well. So what am I doing wrong?
2: Well, I would get some Sluggo Plus, which is, uh, uh, and and I find the same thing on mine. All mine are in the ground, but uh, the pill bugs are the worst thing, sow bugs, roly polies, whatever you want to call them about eating it. But get a little bit of this product called Sluggo Plus. It's uh, all totally natural, nothing going to hurt you or pets or anything else. And uh, sprinkle a little bit of that around the one in the ground, Feed regularly, good liquid fertilizer, fish emulsion has to grow, one of the uh, products from Espoma. There, there are lots of good liquid fertilizers, but that's what's really going to keep the one in the ground looking real good. But for whatever reason, the pillbugs do absolutely love it, but Sluggo Plus will very safely take care of them.
10: Okay, now will it freeze out and not come back or what? Because it never has Oh no. big
2: mine rarely even freezes mine you know usually go down into the mid-20s before they freeze down and when they do freeze down they come right back out the next spring it's totally cold hardy now up in a pot it could be a little more susceptible to freeze damage i wouldn't worry down to probably close to 20 degrees below that i might bring the pot in but uh they're totally cold hardy here
10: but well, they're still really small. They never have gotten started really good. So that's a good information. Now, one more thing is, I need the name of the man who evaluates the yard for free. Uh,
2: who know? evaluates the the yard? The yard. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, uh, his name is Sam Sitterly, and uh, his business is Green Grow Organics. But uh, Sam Sitterly is the man you want to talk to.
10: Okay. Cuz my husband's about ready to <coughs> help me with it. <laughs>
2: it. Yeah, that's it.
10: And did we have a phone number?
2: Ah, uh, let me see here. It's still pretty dark down here. I uh it's uh, at 7 uh I'm well, hang on just a second. Let me get it for you cuz my uh my brain's not fully awake yet, but I know I've got it here in front of me somewhere. Um and uh yes, yeah, two seven five. I could get those first three numbers right. It's two seven five eighty two hundred. Uh that's two ten area code, of course, two seven five eighty two hundred.
10: Okay. Thank you very much.
2: Well, it's always a pleasure visiting with you. You have a wonderful morning and uh we'll talk again
10: thank you for the information and god bless you have a great day thank
2: you eva you too (laughs) bye uh to the phone lines mark is next good morning mark good morning bob how are you i'm good sir how about yourself
11: wonderful i imagine we'll end up down there at the pearl once the wife wakes up we love it
2: (laughs) you lucky people that get to sleep in and enjoy that cup of tea or coffee and uh Anyway, yeah, this uh, the Pearl's always a fun place. They have a great farmer's market down here, and uh, um, it's not quite as long today. The herb market is going to go from about 9 until about 1, I'm told, but uh, it certainly doesn't cost you anything to get in. It sometimes costs you to get out because there's so much good stuff down here, but love to see you. Yeah, it's a great
11: event. We 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 frequent it down there quite a bit. Um, we, are, <clears throat> we are very much into um, herbs for uh, medicinal and culinary purposes, (laughs) and um, I was wondering this year, um, my rosemary took a hit, as everybody's did, and and, I was wondering if those dead branches still maintained their medicinal value.
2: Well, of course, the, the leaves are what have the medicinal and culinary value. And yes, they do. They've just, they are just sort of naturally dried because, uh, I mean, we use fresh rosemary for cooking and a few things. We also use dried rosemary in a lot of different applications. And, uh, those leaves just got air dried on the plants. I would, uh, not hesitate to use those for well, just for anything other than uh, where you would normally be using fresh uh, just recently harvested. But yeah, the uh the leaves there are uh, are perfectly good. Okay, good. Yeah, um I planted those do um, some Morgana trees this
11: year. And um gosh, I got some that are ten feet tall already. It's crazy. Um I haven't harvested them yet. Do you know of anybody that's done that?
2: That uses those. um, Tell me the name of the tree once again Moringa, Morgana. Oh, Moringa, Moringa, yeah. I don't. uh, That's a tree that is very widely grown in Florida, but uh, they're new to me, and um, I have to plead kind of ignorance in this case, but uh, I, gosh, look around and. Like I say, I think you're going to find, if you have any friends from Florida, (laughs) I would ask them because (laughs) it's much, much more widely grown over there than it is here. But uh, um, that's one of them I haven't grown yet. Okay. Last
11: year I harvested over 400 seeds for uh, Mexican Buckeyes. I went out Uh and planted them all over. And um, I'm supposed to have a very high production rate. I I probably got ten percent. Really,
2: those.
11: and when I put them out in last year, we got all that rain in September,
2: and I uh-huh. wonder if that ground got too soaked, too wet. Yeah, I would I would imagine that's that's what it is. Did you direct seed into the ground or did you start them out in pots?
11: I I soaked them overnight and then and then uh-huh. planted them. You know, so they're already becoming a little bulbous when I planted them. And, um, I just, I just was shocked that I didn't get that many of them. coming.
2: But, up. but did you plant them in pots or did you plant them directly in the ground? Oh, directly in the ground. Yeah. I, it's like most other things. I think you'll get a much higher germination rate, uh, starting about in small containers, let them get up and growing. I mean, you look at that, uh, Mixing a buckeye plant, Mother Nature let that thing make 500 seeds, knowing that one or two of them are going to sprout and grow. Uh, growing in pots, I think you'll get close to 100% germination, but in the ground, it just never works out to that many. So uh, get some—I mean, any nursery out there will give you a bunch of, you know, just empty three-inch pots or even gallon containers—and uh, start them in pots and then plant about and I think you'll do much better. I would not soak them. Overnight, but I would give them a 15 or 20-minute soak in garret juice or something like that. But uh, mm-hmm. um, you should do very, very well. Mexican Buckeye is one of the easiest seeds to start that uh, I know of, but uh, always, always on something like that. Start them in a pot and then transfer them to the ground when they're maybe a foot tall. Well,
11: I, I live out here where I literally went and bought a jackhammer to plant yep. on the ground.
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, we, uh, I'm fortunate that I have enough land that I have a few places with deep soil, which is where all my Buckeyes grow, especially up and down my creek. But, um, uh, yeah, harvest your seed, but, but start them in the small pots rather than trying to direct seed them in the ground. Okay, Okay, well, this, I'll do that this year. Right.
11: Thanks, Bob. I'll see you
2: seed in there. Thank you. We'll look forward to it. Appreciate the call, Mark. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. And, Chris, punch the right button, and let's bring Dave up. Good morning, Dave.
1: Hey, good morning, Bob. I have a couple morning, of sir.
2: questions. That's uh, what I'm here for.
1: All right. Uh, last April, May, we planted uh, two red buds and a white bud, probably a little over an inch in diameter. Uh, they had a mm-hmm. stake in the pot. I left that in the ground. Um, uh, last night... Uh, a buck, a young buck, did it. Oh thing. my! Goodness. And the only, the only unscathed portion is where that three-eighths-inch dowel was running up the side of the trunk. Um, okay. Chances are slim. I know. It, what would you do?
2: Okay, I'm glad you called today because, uh, you've got about a 24 hour window that you can do a great deal to save that tree. Uh, the most important thing, first of all, is just covering it so it doesn't dry out. Uh, um, one of my arborist friends uses just nothing more than tar paper. He will wrap around it. Howard Garrett frequently uses, uh, some burlap, but, uh, um, just, Cover it as quickly as you can with just anything that'll hold the moisture in there. Later today, if you can, get the ingredients and, uh, they can, things can vary. But, uh, Howard, you'll find on his dirtdoctor.com website a, what he calls tree goop. It's a mixture of rock phosphate, maybe a little bit of wood ash in there, water to just kind of make a slurry and just paint this over. The area, and then wrap it up again. Again, uh, Howard uses burlap. Dave uses uh, 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 just a tar paper or something like that. But the tree has a very good chance of surviving, and I'm sure glad that stake was still in there because even if you did nothing, the tree would survive. It would be set back a good deal. But uh, if you will go ahead and get the get that those wounds protected, I think your tree will really suffer long term very little damage.
1: Okay, great. Is your friend Dave? Is that Mr. Vaughn?
2: Yeah, David Vaughn, right?
1: Yeah, I I, I sent a picture of this thing yesterday to Ed, and he just kind of winced. So, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll 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 try this. Um, well, next, next. do it. It's
2: it's producing really good results. But if you wait a week, uh, not such a good prognosis. But here, the day after, I think probably pretty good.
1: Sure, yeah, I discovered it yesterday morning, so it was pretty fresh at that time. Next question: Um, When you do you have the ability to order a, a, I don't know how you get your trees in, if you order them or what, but can can you get a ginkgo cultivar?
2: You know, we ordered ginkgos. The only place that I know that they are grown is uh, in California. We ordered some to come in, but I sure haven't seen them. I'm not sure if they shorted us on them Um I call over at the nursery a little later today and ask if the ginkgos came in. We very definitely ordered them. We don't, you know, we, in, in the business, we can't like order one tree at a time. We order like $3,000 worth of trees at a time or they won't ship them. But I know the ginkgos were ordered, but I haven't seen them yet at Monrovia Nursery, which is where these came from. They're not real good about Having everything you order. I will tell you that if you, uh, you know, Howard Garrett has, uh, in addition to his dirtdoctor.com, he has the membership side that they call the Organic Club of America. I know Howard was giving away seeds from his ginkgo in his backyard, which is a magnificent tree. And um if you if you have an interest in joining I think it's fifteen dollars a year or something like that, you may be able to get uh some seeds from him. But uh in the meantime I'd always rather start with the bigger tree. Call Shades of Green a little bit later this morning and we'll see if they came in.
1: Sure, I mean, if he's giving away seeds, that means he's got a female, and I'm looking for a a male, and so I guess that has to be a cultivar, I guess it's a grafted
2: thing. Well, here's the deal, his was sold to him as a male, and for about 10 years, it behaved perfectly like a male, but it... Uh, Apparently, (laughs) it underwent some sort of sex change transformation. And I've heard this from more than one person that all of a sudden it decided it was female and started producing seeds like mad. So be aware that even if you buy it as a male, somewhere down the line, uh, it seems to have the ability to uh, change sexes, so to speak, and may go back to producing... Um, you know, fruit and flowers and all of the related mess. So, uh, uh, I found that very interesting as we all did, but it's not unheard of in the plant kingdom. It happens uh, with some regularity, apparently.
1: Interesting. I, I, I'd be more inclined to think that these trees are probably listening to the current mainstream media or something like
2: that. But, but, <laughs> and we better uh, not go there. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I'm not very politically correct, so don't ask me my opinion on many things. But uh, now it's, uh, yeah, I think maybe they're getting some bad influence from somewhere or good influence, depending on your outlook. But uh, even, the of course, the whole point is that even the ones that are sold as mail sometimes do pregame. Him producing fruit uh, ten, twelve years down the road, so there's yeah. there's no guarantee your tree's going to stay uh, stay clean forever, so to speak, because they are messy. But uh, they sure are a beautiful but, tree, beautiful fall um, foliage, and yeah,
1: yeah. I, well, and, and I visited with Michael, the young man that is now working for Ed, and he's the one that he's the one that strongly encouraged me to get something that they call a cultivar, which is basically, I guess, grafted. So that's uh, they they take a male. They take something from a male tree. Of course, I guess maybe it was a young male tree. I don't know which right. Become a female right. tree later. But anyway, I mean that's what he, that's what he
2: uh, recommended, and I. I well, I understand, you, you understand that the male trees don't grow any better, any bigger, any different. The only reason to choose a male tree is just because the female tree. Uh, drops a lot of seed, um, and, and is in effect, uh, sort of a messy tree. No more so than a loquat or, you know, even a crepe myrtle when it comes to shedding sure. all the flowers and everything else. So, uh, getting a male cultivar is all, the only advantage you're getting there is that it's just a little bit, uh, a little bit cleaner trees, not going to drop as much fruit and things as uh, the female will.
1: Yeah, absolutely. My sister has one that, after ten, fifteen years, it 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 identify. I mean, it 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 was learned that it was a female. They cannot, Bob. They cannot even rake this fruit up anymore. They have to, they have to pick, they have to pick it up by hand. They raked it last year, and puncturing it is enough to you know send you away. So they
2: literally oh sure. picked
1: up ten to 15 five-gallon buckets of it that's why i'm just okay. trying to get i'm trying to get the mail so i don't have to deal with that down the road well I know there's no difference in the look but i want to pass yeah. hassle if possible
2: <laughs> at least for a few years uh so far as i know all the monrovia cultivars are uh are males so uh again like i say i i know i put it on the order and yeah if not, we continue to look for them because they're really a good tree in this area, provided you have soil that's, you know, at least a little bit deeper than some of our soils. That seems to be the one thing they like is having uh, an area with three or four feet of soil instead of three or four inches. But I know of some beautiful ginkgos here in the San Antonio area, so uh, good luck on it. I think it makes a beautiful tree and, you know, it's sort of a living piece of history. That tree was around when the dinosaurs were.
1: Do they come to the nursery labeled as a cultivar? Yes. Some of
2: them? Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Very good. Thank you. You're sure welcome. Appreciate the call, Dave. Thank you, sir. Uh, Anna is next. Good morning, Anna. Good morning. Well, Uh, good morning.
7: uh, I called you
10: last week to ask uh, what I could do to kill the, the fence trees, you know, those little trees that come on the fence. Right. And uh, I am surrounded with them. And you said diesel and molasses. Right. How do you mix
12: that? I forgot to ask you.
2: Well, the mixture that I've always used is about 50-50. It doesn't mix well. I mean, you almost have to continually stir it or shake it. What I have gotten to doing, um, and I use this mainly on mesquite stumps or other things that I don't want to re-sprout, I'll go ahead and put the diesel on and then pour the molasses on afterwards. But uh, probably just be sure you use at least half as much molasses as you do diesel. The molasses doesn't really... Really aid in the killing process, but it cleans up the uh, materials that the diesel leaves behind. they're not something we want in the soil. We want it to kill the kill the stump and then stop killing so to speak.
0: So actually
10: is the diesel the one that kills it
2: That's the what kills it yes ma'am
10: A- and uh, and the molasses is something to keep the diesel in there until it does its
6: job.
2: Well, to keep it there and then to break it down. Most, you know, they put some additives that aren't real nice in our motor fuel products, but uh, basically they're just hydrocarbons, and as such they break down the things that are useful for plants. So uh, the molasses just sort of speeds that process along.
10: Okay, so I can go along and and uh, pour the diesel and then go over with the molasses.
2: Yeah, Yeah, just pour right on top of that on top of that stomp or right around the base of the little tree. Oh, okay, then I thank you. We're gonna to talk to Thomas and Lynn. Uh, good morning, Thomas. Good morning, Bob. Well, good morning, sir. Uh my neighbor's got a
13: bunch of honeybees that uh they're in a pot. And uh
2: Okay.
6: Yeah,
13: they're in, a, they're in a pot that's turned upside down, and they settle in this pot. They got a, a big honeycomb in there, and all. Oh wow! On this, I wanted to ask you if you know anybody that'd be interested. in uh, heat. I don't want him. I'm trying to. I don't want him to kill him. You know. Sure. Sure, and uh, someone it'd be easy for them just to get that pot. It's not locked around a tree or anything.
2: So. <laughs> that and a sounds wall, like about you know, of a yeah, that's about the easiest deal out there. There is an organization here in the area called the Alamo Area Beekeepers, um, uh, Alamo Area Beekeepers Association. I'm pretty sure you can Google that and get a phone number, and uh, they would be the ones. Of, be most likely to be interested in uh, trapping and moving a colony uh like that. This is something that just showed up in his yard over time. Where where yeah. is this spot located?
13: It's in the backyard. It's in a neighborhood, all the way off of uh, Dezavala. Okay. And they just in the backyard, and and so far they haven't stung anybody or anything. Uh, you know, he's got dogs and kids and all that. And, Yeah. I don't believe they're the African type of bee, but, uh, you know, they they want to get them out of there.
2: (laughs) Well, I guess I can understand that. Uh, We gardeners would be very happy to have a nice colony of them show up. But uh, uh, try calling Alamo area beekeepers. I'm virtually certain that there's someone there who would uh, love to trap and move that colony.
13: Okay, I'll do that. Yeah, I just don't want them, you know, in the old... Burn them out or whatever, and
2: destroy them. I mean, that's, no, that's my, no, there. You need. I mean, we need every bee that we can manage out there for so many different reasons. And uh, yeah, it's. It sounds like you say the 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 hard thing is with the Africanized bee. When they're out foraging, they act and behave just like any other European honeybee. They are not uh, aggressive in any way, form, or fashion. It's just they really get aggressive when it comes to defending the hive. But if this one's been there for a while, and like you say, kids and dogs and everything else around there with no problems, and they almost certainly are not Africanized. Although um, we've had a couple of programs where beekeepers came and gave a talk uh, it seems that even a lot of the normal domestic bee colonies, the African bees are always trying to move in. And sometimes a hive that has been, you know, very docile for years, all of a sudden, mm-hmm. they start getting that, uh, that particular gene that makes them more aggressive in there. So, yeah, probably a good thing to move it out, uh, away from where, you know, family and pets are working around it all the time. So, yeah, call the beekeepers and, uh, it sounds like one of the easiest, uh, you know, hive transfers that they could possibly do. Yeah,
13: that's, uh, well, you know, they're not, not inside of a
2: wall or up in a tree or anything. It's <laughs> easy for them, so. <laughs> that, that sounds like a win-win situation.
13: Okay, Bob. Well, thank you. I
2: appreciate it. Good question, Thomas. I sure appreciate the call. I uh, thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay, All right, uh, let's talk to Lynn. Good morning, Lynn.
14: Good morning.
2: Good morning.
14: Uh, I have a problem with my neighbors. Well, we're trimming trees. We were, and uh,
2: <laughs> I think there's, sure there's a story behind this somewhere. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, you're trimming trees, and what now?
14: Okay, so he's uh, actually it's out on the East Madonna Road. I'm out in the country, so uh-huh. Uh, we're trying to keep up our road, and it's paved and. Anyway, the whole thing, he, he says, he's got to cut some of the limbs away from the road. And I said, well, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. He's, I said, as long as uh, we paint them, because they're uh, oak trees. Right. I said, that's okay. He says, oh, no, you don't have to do that anymore.
2: He's misinformed. The,
14: the thing is, is that you don't paint the trees because now they grow back better. They just cover over and they'll grow back. And I said, well, I don't care. Wherever you're going to do it in front of my property, I'm bringing a can of black paint and we're painting them. So I thought, is this something new?
2: No. No no absolutely not um i guess one thing that is new we have learned that that pruning paint per se does slow down wound healing it the trees don't you know cover over as quickly but it is still absolutely essential Uh, on oak trees. If you want to avoid potential problems with oak wilt, you still need to seal every wound. Now, it doesn't have to be that black pruning paint. It can be any kind of paint out there just uh, ordinary old spray paint. <laughs> I, I don't know that I agree with the guy that painted his fluorescent orange, but uh, just anything that seals it over. What you have to do is keep that wound sealed for about 8 to 10 days. After that time, it is dried to the point that there's no danger of transferring the oak quilt. So, uh, this is, like to say, you could use nail polish. You could use anything that would seal it up for about 10 days, but no, they, I still on live oaks and red oaks uh, every good arborist that I know says paint every wound every time so uh, your neighbor's only hearing half the story well, and you're very wise I've
14: to always used I've used uh, I've that enamel spray paint and I just spray no. that over it every time I do any cutting on the tree
2: you're the smart person in this neighborhood
14: Okay, then the other question is: say, for instance, there's a dead branch on a tree, uh-huh. and you and you cut it or break it off. Do you have to seal that one too, or is that?
2: That's that's a that's a great question, Lynn, Because if you are out in the dead part of the branch, no. There's no reason to because there's no living tissue there for the oak will to get started. But many times when we take that dead branch, we want to cut it all the way back to the principal branch or back to the trunk. And when we cut it all the way back to the trunk, then we may be cutting a little bit of living tissue there, and we do need to seal that. But if you've got a a branch that's dead 10 feet long, you just cut off the outer 6 feet of it, no, there's absolutely no reason to paint that one.
14: Okay, that's what I thought, so I'm right and he's wrong, but that's okay.
2: (laughs) Well, but now that's that's really not totally okay.
14: We're not not enemies or anything.
2: Well, and you want to stay that way, but but so you need to tell him if you don't paint and you do get oak quilt started, and you know oak quilt spreads through the roots from one tree to the next, it could easily spread onto your property. And oh, so, no, yeah, it's buy him a, a buy him a can of spray paint and tell him to use it. <laughs>
14: yeah, I, but he's been, you know, they've been cutting up and down. And, I, and when I had my trees trimmed, you know, I had a very good tree trimmer come out. He came out, and they did such a great job because, you know, a lot of these butchers get through, and they'll go and they'll just lop it off, and, you know, and then they have to go up there and spray it. These guys out there, so they had a, their spray on a big pole, and they got up there. You know, they just worked like a team, and it was great.
2: They, they sound like professionals. Yeah, I call those other guys uh, hack-whack-and-stack types, and uh, those are not the ones we respect.
14: It, that's the truth. Well, I really <laughs> thank you for that, and uh, I'll uh, tell him, but I don't think I'll convince him. But
2: Well, yeah, do your best.
14: I will, thank you
2: so much You're welcome Len, Uh, it's my pleasure Thank you, (laughs) goodbye Mm -hmm. right. just uh, It's so much fun Watching this place come to life down here Just visiting with Mark Panic, walking in There are just so many good people Come to the herb market every year And uh, you should be one of them There are, uh, there's just so much to see and do Down here at the Pearl all the time But uh, especially on herb market day I want to remind you, too, our free seminar a little later this morning is going to be all about bulbs, whether you're looking to plant them in the ground or or whether you want to force them for the holidays or whenever. That's what we're going to be talking about over at Shades of Green, 945, absolutely free of charge. You don't make reservations. You don't uh, sign up. You just show up. And we'd love to have you there. Coffee will be on by 9. Um, Actually, the only person I have waiting right now is Greg. So if you've been getting a busy signal, this would be a real good time to call. 210-599-5555. While Chris pushes the appropriate button, and I say good morning, Greg. Good morning, Bob. Good morning.
15: Good morning, sir. I only have one question. I I got uh, some oak trees, and I got a root system that's kind of... Exposed out of the ground and is running towards my driveway. Would it hurt my tree if I cut that particular uh, root that's going towards my driveway?
2: How close to um, the tree would you be making the cut?
15: Uh, I would say about eight feet or nine feet off uh, away from it.
2: The. my friends, my arborist in the business, tell me that what the the best way to determine how close to a tree you can safely cut is to take the, the however many inches in diameter the tree trunk is and convert that to feet. In other words, if that tree is 10 inches in diameter, you ought to try to say 10 feet away from uh, any major cuts that you make on the roots as far as possible. Now. If this is, you know, if the tree, if the other, you know, 270 degrees of the tree, the roots can grow out as far as they want to. Realistically, I don't think you're going to do any severe damage to the tree. What what type of tree is it?
15: It's an oak tree.
2: Okay. Uh, the one thing that I would tell you is that uh, oak roots are, in effect, just like the top of the tree and that we... Uh, you could potentially have oak wilt transferred into a tree through a wound on the roots. So unless you're going to cut them and then just immediately fill that hole back in, uh, you really ought to spray some, some sort of sealer onto any cuts you make on the big tree roots, just like you would on limbs up above. But if you're that far away, um, I don't think I would hesitate in uh, you know in, in cutting what you need to.
15: Okay. Well, that's that's. Well, I was kind of reluctant to cut it because I'm kind of scared I hurt my tree, and uh, I surely don't want to do that.
2: Well, Uh, and which which was there first, the tree or the driveway? Uh, probably the tree because the tree.
15: (laughs) I mean, it's pretty good. I don't know. I'm I'm, I I just moved there about 15 years ago, and the and the. I had bought the house, and it was already there. So sure, yeah. The reason I, I, I asked the people had, the, I understand that people had planted those trees when they bought when they built the house, but
2: okay. So. Well, the reason I I ask is because underneath the foundation, certainly, and a uh, driveway to some extent, there's nothing underneath the concrete that would make a root want to grow there, would make a root want to grow underneath. There's very little oxygen. There's no water. Uh, there's just not anything that would appeal to a tree root underneath that driveway. So, um, trees don't normally grow a lot of roots underneath. But if you poured the driveway on top of an existing root system, well, you're just, you're just buying trouble there because eventually those roots will grow to the point that they will cause problems to it. But, uh, I just would say as far away from the tree as you possibly can cut. And like I say, unless you're refilling the whole, uh, immediately, do do spray a little sealer of some sort on there. Well, see, what the problem is, is that the tree is a little bit higher than my, and
15: the water runs off, and when it, I guess when it runs off, it, it goes right almost to my driveway. And okay, I'm sure that that kind of holds moisture <laughs> there to, to a point. Oh, no,
2: it's it's just like in the summer, the greenest grass along the road is right there on the sides where all that water runs off. Uh, yeah, that's, you know, that always is an issue, but if they're on the verge of causing problems, uh, I would, you know, I would go ahead and try them. I don't think you're going to cause any severe problems.
15: Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Bob. Appreciate
2: well, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> we'll talk again. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Bob. morning, Bob. Hey, good morning. Good to hear your voice.
16: Yeah, n- another n- nice day here coming out.
2: It is just a totally beautiful day. As I was saying, I we've had herb markets when I felt like I was freezing. And this is just a perfect day. This is a very comfortable day to be out and uh, doing whatever it is that we do. And uh, I know that you're probably about as busy as I am. What can I help with today?
16: Well, um, our, our nurseries out here always have trouble getting vegetable plants. They're like on the end of the delivery line. And, and they never know when they're going to they never know when they're going to get anything. But yep. anyway, so they got lucky and they got a flat of spinach here at Friendly Natives. And it's called Red Kitten. Have you heard of that or know anything about it?
2: No, that's a new one to me. Yeah. Is it a flat leaf or is it the crinkly leaf type?
16: It, it's a flat leaf and it's kind of upright. And for, from what I looked at on the, on the internet, it looks like they bred it to look pretty in salads. So it's got red veins. But, oh, well, I'm going to try That's something new. I'm going to take the whole flat and plant it.
2: (laughs) I think that that would would probably be a good thing. I will tell you my personal experience with the non-savoy, as they call it, or flat-leaf spinaches, Uh they are the most heavy-producing spinaches, but they don't last as late into the heat. So... If they come up with some right. Bloomsdale or Melody or, you know, yeah. one of the Savoy types, I would plant some of those as well. But it's a good combination because, uh, you know, you get lots of spinach from the flat leaves. It just doesn't last as late into the spring. So uh, okay. I'll be interested to hear. I, that's a brand-new variety to me. I've not seen that one yet.
16: Yeah, yeah. We we decided several years ago that it wasn't worth growing them from seed because they don't sprout till like, in the end of November.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so takes cool soil, expand, and you know, you know, by the time the soil gets cool for you guys, it's a little bit too cool.
16: Yeah, right. So, so yeah, I, I basically. Okay. Um, um, kind of a different topic. The we have a couple of, uh, septic systems, and and I I'm sure. It, I mean, it was done in the eighties. It's the old kind. And mm-hmm. um, two things. One is there's there's huge post oak and live oaks all through it, and I'm sure yeah. a lot of the holes are clogged up. But I'm just—we're just kind of going on. If if there's no problems at all, we're not going to worry about it because it would be really hard to deal with anything.
2: You know, and I don't think there will be any problems with it. I mean, my septic okay. system is probably over a hundred years old. Uh, A big old line of beautiful live oaks growing right around it. And um, the problem, you know, always comes between the bathroom and the septic tank. If you get roots in those lines, you've got problems. And, yes, I pay the folks to come out and clean those out periodically. But as far as, you know, causing any problems with your laterals and things, uh, I doubt that you'll ever have a problem with them, Mark. okay. Okay. One,
16: one of the lines, we put a blackberry bit over it, and there's a clean-out or something, and I looked down at it one, one time, and it's like, the line is, like, six feet down. Uh-huh. <laughs> but,
2: <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I wouldn't be concerned.
16: Okay. The the other thing, well, I'm sure this isn't an issue either. The Well, we we kind of put up with armadillos around our yard. There's been a family here for years, and we have, we've had babies in the yard. <laughs> And, and oh yeah it, it's a real hassle as you would know because they they dig dens or holes everywhere mm-hmm. and, and now one is digging into one of those septic um lateral lines at the end and tossing out and gravel and i guess i'm not don't, don't worry about that either i guess
2: <laughs> well i i would you know get a package of blood mail uh-huh. and i would you know maybe throw a cup of that down his hole they do not like that smell and that will usually encourage him to go dig somewhere else i i would not be real you know keen on having having them bringing that all that up to the surface and digging in that area so i probably would discourage that guy get him to dig somewhere else and and blood mail certainly safest and easiest thing you could use
16: our old dog doesn't bother the armadillos anymore, but our new young one is the big hunter. And now we're having to do this deal, trying to keep her away from the armadillos, especially when they came out during the day. It's like, geez. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway. Okay. Well,
2: and, you know, always do try to keep them separated because uh, armadillos can carry a, um, animal leprosy, of course. And uh, there are things your vet can do about that, but it's a whole lot better not to have to deal with it. So, as much as possible, keeping the dog separated from the armadillos is good on a number of levels.
16: But do you worry about them being close to your animals or in your yard? Or?
2: I don't let the uh, I don't let the armadillos come around my yard. If they show up in my yard, they get trapped and relocated okay. uh, some distance away. Okay.
16: We just feel sorry for them because they're, you know, well, our yard is a great habitat for them and for the rabbits because it's, oh yeah, you know, it's lush. But
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I know that feeling. No, the cottontails and all are welcome in my yard, but the armadillos right. tend to be a little bit okay. too destructive in their digging, and right. they, of right. course, always want to go to the beds and wherever the soil is softest right. and moist right. and the moist earthworms are, but, uh, where possible, it would be good if they could yeah. uh, reside outside of the dog limits, so to speak.
16: We might do that yet. Okay, okay. All right. Thanks, Bob. You <laughs> You're sure <day>.
2: welcome. <laughs> you okay. do the same, Mark. Thank you. Yeah. Goodbye. All right. Got Roy now. Uh, good morning, Roy. Roy, are you there? Yeah, yes, sir. Good morning. Good morning, sir. How can I help today?
13: Okay. Uh, I gathered up some. some some
4: soil uh, and uh it's been there for three years in, the, in this uh, rubbermaid container and okay. i decided to go ahead and, and use it up this year but there were little 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 creatures running around in the dirt little reddish half inch long with little okay in the back and i wonder what, what are those are they? Are they good or bad for the dirt
5: for the garden?
2: They're sort of neutral. They're not going to cause any problems. Uh, they're probably related to something they call an earwig, but they are not not damaging to anything, and I, it certainly doesn't mean there's anything wrong with your soil. I would just totally ignore them. I can't say they're beneficial, but they're not destructive. They're just sort of just sort of benign, just sort of out there.
4: Well, what are their names? Well, what, are they, what are they called? What are they?
2: What the one that is most common is called an earwig. E A R W I G.
4: Okay, earwig. Okay. You, okay, earwig. Okay,
2: okay. 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 That's
4: that's it. Thank you very much. Thank you.
2: You're sure welcome, Roy. Thank you. Bye. All right, just the right amount of time to get Liz in here. Good morning, Liz.
12: Hi. Good morning, sir. Good morning. My. Cr- Hi. My question is, is I have, uh, three older pecan trees. I've been living out here in this area for about since 79. And of course the pecan trees were out here. Uh, I have one pecan tree that kind of looks sickly. I trimmed it off. It's, uh, gave at one time very good, nice, healthy pecans. Uh, but I have these mushrooms growing out of it.
6: Mm -hmm.
12: So, uh, now right now i have two healthy trees that have they're full of leaves they have the nuts and everything else already there but this one is like doesn't have no leaves no leaves at all it has the mushrooms i guess it's sick should i just cut it down or should i still try to
14: save it because
2: well if it if it has no leaves it may just be dead you know, I, and the, uh, what we, we think's growing out of the trunk are what we call shelf fungi, and they are closely related to mushrooms, but that only grows on dead wood. Now, sometimes we see trees that have some dead wood in them, and they get the shelf fungi growing on them when the tree is still alive and growing, but this tree doesn't sound like it's in very good shape. Uh, I'm always interested in knowing what caused its demise, and I always worry that, you know, perhaps it's been buried too deeply. That's one of the most common problems we see with pecan trees is uh, soil gets piled up around the trunk, up above the root flare, and long term, it very definitely reduces the health of the tree. So your two good trees that you still have, uh, I would look at the base of the tree. If the base of the tree looks like a fence post coming up out of the ground, you need to start pulling the soil back until you get down to where you find those major roots beginning to spread out. And um, I... I it just your your one tree that looks bad doesn't sound to me like there's much hope for reviving that tree. I just don't want to see the same thing happen to the other two. So check that root flare and be sure that it's exposed. you I mean, you don't have to dig a real wide hole, but every tree trunk, uh, Mother Nature wanted to have soil, have air circulating around that point above the soil line. So check those others. And uh, if you see the nice big flaring out, if you see the nice big bunch of roots right up on the surface, you're in good shape. But if it looks anything like a fence post sticking up, uh, that's buried too deeply. Okay.
12: The other question is uh, the gecko, The I, I believe it's the gecko. It's a woody, shrubbery with the red tips, uh, flower, pink, white, raspberry color. It's like a bush. Are
2: yeah, you with oh. me? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know it by that name. It sounds uh, the botanic. Um, okay, there are several salvias that meet that, that uh, description. Yes, what can I tell you about them?
12: It's a hardy wood. It's a hardy uh-huh. wood. My thing is uh it's getting very leggy, but I have the yeah. flowers blooming right now, but I sure. don't like the legginess. So when's the good time that I can in fact you can I have a good uh pretty okay, good yeah, I'm, uh, I can make more yeah. of that. But.
2: I uh, you the best time to do that is going to be early spring end of February that would be the time I'd do it. It is our great pleasure to visit with Mr. Howard Garrett the dirt doctor and uh, understand we're doing that a little bit more long distance than usual today Howard. Good morning.
17: I'm in the beautiful city of Topeka Kansas <laughs> and uh, I'll be speaking later today about uh, trees and tomorrow about the natural uh, pest control deal, and we've done something kind of different this year. I brought about 14 pieces of my art so people can see them actually in person, and I, I brought everything from the tiny little ginkgo leaf painting I did that's only 8 inches uh, across to uh, some of the big controls.
2: Chaos things that I've been doing. Well, I love the, uh, you know, the pictures that you sent. You and oh, who was it? Either Roberta or Wendy says he has developed quite a natural, beautiful style. I, he's uh, just doing really good work. And of course, I love the fact that uh, the proceeds from the sale of these things goes to support uh, Torque, which is a very, very worthwhile organization.
17: Yeah, we've been doing pretty well. We haven't had a show yet. We're going to have our first show coming up in uh, November in Dallas at a, at a wine, uh, place called the Wine Therapist. So if anybody is in Dallas around November the 14th, I'll be uh, giving people informa- more information about that later. But people, uh, anybody can go right now or anytime to the website and click on the red button on the top of the page at dirtdoctor.com. and go to the catalog that shows all the stuff we've put on there so far I haven't put everything I've done on there yet but it's about, about three-fourths of the pieces uh, are are shown there in the specs on what I've painted them on, what they're on, what the media is and all that, and how much they cost so check it out so, let me know
2: what you think I uh, most definitely will do so So a lot of your work is two-dimensional but you still, still do a little bit of three-dimensional work as well I enjoy doing the sculpture a lot, Bob, but it is
17: much more time consuming and and messier and everything else. I'm going to get back to it, but I've got to figure out a little bit better facility right now when I do it. I get sawdust and (laughs) and <laughs> stuff all over the <laughs> design studio and on the painting. So.
2: <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe there's a there's a new form there, sawdust art or something like that. But uh, So you're going to talk today about trees and tomorrow about uh, what is tomorrow's topic?
17: It's the natural organic pest control talk that I've been doing for quite a while. I'm, I've, I've changed the tree talk. By then I'm going to be talking more about management and uh, what to do if twig girdlers are, and I'm getting a lot of questions about twig girdlers and uh, some basic things. I'm going to go through uh, uh, how to use the sick tree treatment to basically solve all of the problems we run into.
2: You know, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting quite a few questions this year, more than usual, about twig girdlers. Um, what What is your recommendation on uh, controlling the, the twig girdlers? Uh, I, I'm seeing a little bit on Cedar Elms. Cedar Elms and Pecans are always the two places we see it the most.
17: We have it on uh, Elms probably more than anything. In fact, one of the listeners sent me a picture, of, and I'm trying to find it right now. I'm so good filing stuff,
6: but he had a whole
17: <laughs> big pile of uh, twigs that had come down from an elm tree. And my answer to, to him and to most people is that uh, you don't know, worry about something else. It's not a big deal. It's it's cosmetic. And once you have the, uh, the those cut branches that look like they're cut with a pipe cutter, um, yeah.
2: Yeah.
17: you know, they're basically done. You can throw the, uh, the little uh, tip growth in the compost pile or, uh, or destroy it however you want to, and you'll kill the eggs that have been laid on the those pieces, and that'll shut it down pretty well for next uh, next season.
2: Well, that's exactly, yeah, that's exactly what I've told people for a lot of years, and uh, that it's that little beetle that goes out and lays the eggs farther out on the branch, and then cuts the branch off so it falls to the ground the eggs hatch and move into the soil where they go through their most of their life before they become the beetles and start all over again so uh, i think that's that's the most important thing it's just if they if you do want to not have to worry about them you just uh get rid of those twigs and you've destroyed next year's crop of course. If my elm trees are like most people's, they can use a little bit of thinning out periodically. So I'm—I just don't think they're anything to worry about. I uh, had a had a caller this morning earlier asking about. We have talked about. You have some uh, a place up there that uh, that will help with identification on plants. Remind me of what that is. What something I've done or some. No,
6: it's.
2: Yeah, no, I I can't, couldn't remember whether it's uh, over in Fort Worth or which at the R uh, at the oh, herbarium oh, or where on the. Go ahead.
17: Yeah, it's called the Botanical, Botanical Research, Research Institute of Texas, or BRI. BRI. B-R-I-T.
2: Okay, but. Okay.
17: Botanical Research Institute of Texas, and they're okay. they're a great service. They, they actually enjoy uh, people sending them uh, things, especially the strange things that are hard to identify. And they, uh, <laughs> they back, we, we very seldom stump them. And like Barney Lipscomb and some of those other guys, like Barney's who I usually send send things to when I can't quite figure it out. He's got some friends in other parts of the country that specialize in various kinds of plants, you know. And some of the stuff I get is from other parts of the country. So if he gets gets stumped or doesn't know for sure what it is, he'll send it on to somebody else. It's a totally free service. They they do a great job.
2: Plant taxonomists are interesting people, shall we say. (laughs) They find excitement in some of the strangest things that, uh, I have to say, plant taxonomy was probably one of the most boring horticultural topics i've ever taken but you know it it, it there's just a lot to know about uh the relationships among plants and that's what uh, the identification's all about for floral, floral structures and things like that so okay well i'm going to put that in my permanent notes here the botanical research institute of texas and um i'm sure my early morning caller still listening will appreciate that very much
17: yeah, the, back to the twig girdle for just a second. The one other thing that people could could do if they've really had a, a lot of problem or think it you know is, is significant enough to deal with, you can spray one of the essential oil products or even mix, mix a couple of uh, ounces of orange oil in with your Garrett juice mixture or whatever spray you like, and and it will uh, it'll do some good if you use it kind of on a preventative. Uh, basis in this case
2: and and that is and you're using that just spraying wherever you can reach on the trees,
17: yeah, as far up in it as you can uh, spray, and you and I both need to continue to try to work. I haven't done it since we last talked we need to figure out how to get those trombone sprayers back on the market because for, for most people they could get you know twenty twenty five feet up in the tree oh yeah or one of them.
2: Well, I've got one of our suppliers is looking and says that they're they think they have a line on a good one. So I will sure let you know because that's that's still my favorite sprayer because you can uh, anywhere you can carry a bucket, you can take your sprayer. You don't have to be attached to a hose. You don't have it's just such a simple piece of equipment. And uh, there's that little cork. Cup washer, I think they call it in there, is the only thing you have to replace every now and then. And if you just put a drop of oil down into the piston area on it, um, they're just—I don't know—I'm with you. That's just the most useful sprayer I've ever found. And I'll sure let you know when and if we can find a good source on them.
17: Okay, yeah, we'll try to do the same thing. The other, the other thing that maybe you and I both ought to do a tag team match on is try to. Get the NARIT company uh, to yeah. put that product into containers, you know, uh, size where we can deal with them with residential customers and all. Because as far as the detox program, that's probably the most important piece of the puzzle.
2: Yeah, and we're talking activated charcoals. what we're talking. Well, if we can't yeah. get them to do it, I have an idea that we may be able to get Medina to do it if they're... Yeah, you um, said
17: you are interested. That'd be great. If he can do it, that'd be even better.
2: And he's he was asking, you know, because with that uh, air cyclone he has, he can do charcoal he already does it with some of the humates and things and he was asking whether straight charcoal whether a little bit of humate mixed in with it would improve the efficacy of it and uh i told him you know we just need to work with it and and see but he's uh very definitely interested in getting some samples to us and uh like any good businessman if it turns out to be a marketable product uh (laughs) i think they'd be happy to uh they've got the they've got the facilities now for Bagging, as it were, or you know, putting into uh, uh, some sort of bottle, uh, you know, dry materials as well. So I'm very optimistic we're going to have something there pretty soon.
17: Well, the other thing that we probably all look at in that deal that just dawned on me that might be a good addition to it would be to uh, take that high quality lava sand uh, yeah. called cinderite. Right. And if it will do lava sand, if it'll do something that hard, mix that with the um, activated charcoal because that way you'd be putting out a paramagnetic material along with the carbon. So that would speed up the, bio, you know, holding moisture and the biological activity, uh, you know, which is going to be the, the long-term complete, complete uh, detox part of yeah. that, uh, what we're doing. So that'd be worth right. for sure.
2: Oh, there's so many interesting things out there. Another interesting thing that I've just learned about recently is uh, they're doing some experiments with salicylic acid on trees now as far as boosting, well, what we call the tree's immune system. It's not anything, of course, like animals or people, but uh, we know what the trichoderma does, but uh, understand they're doing some real interesting research, especially in Europe, with a salicylic acid, which seems to increase trees' resistance to uh, large, or I guess plants in general, large uh, number of different problems, too. So that's probably something else new that we need to be watching for.
17: Is that what uh, aspirin is?
2: Well, aspirin is, if I remember right, is acetylsalicylic acid, which is one form of it, uh, but apparently there's more than one. It's derived, as I understand, from willow and uh, a couple of other natural sources like that, and um, uh, it's... (laughs) it's just you know i I just find it so funny because we all grew up being taught oh plants don't have an immune system plants don't have any way to respond to you know any insult from pathogens of any sort and it's just so interesting that that's gone 180 degrees now and that they are learning that their plants do indeed have an ability to respond to overcome certain problems and uh Two of the things that really seem to play an important role in that are are things that Trichoderma can do, and now the salicylic acid is just, I think, going to be something we need to watch carefully.
17: Well, that sounds good. One thing it may be doing, and probably is, is providing bioavailable silica to the plant, and that would definitely help. I've been arguing about this immune system idea with university people forever, and it's... You know the thing that we've done that proves that there's something to it more than anything is when you expose the flare and do the sick tree treatment on a tree that is being attacked by sap suckers or covered with uh-huh. galls or some other parasite, it just totally goes away. It's one of the things that yep. I show in my, uh, my my talks, and that's got to <laughs> have something to do with the immune system of the plant.
2: I don't know any other explanation for it. I, and I, you know, it's, um, regardless of, of, you know, what it is, the results are just, you just can't argue with the results because it's just amazing how, um, you know, how the mi- mistletoe just disappears, how so many problems just become so much less of a problem. And it starts the day you get the root flare exposed.
17: It it really is incredible. That that little lakey oak in my front of my office, the way it cleared it up, I was looking at it with Tyson Wood just a couple of days ago again, and I think I had told you that it had the fuzzy oak gall had actually come back on one side of the tree. And I was Uh like, holy cow, you know, look at this. And I then realized with all the rain, it washed in on it and filled back (laughs) in on the flare just a little bit on that side of the tree. I took it off, brushed it away, blew it away with a blower. I could not find, two days ago, I could not find one gall on the tree.
2: And isn't it interesting, it is fascinating, and isn't it interesting how... The roots on one side of a tree, or the the one side of a tree, whatever's happening down at the base, the bad things that show up are going to also show up on that side of the tree. You'd think that when you know things got up into the tree, it would be fairly evenly distributed, but uh, uh, it's just real interesting that the so to speak, the roots on the left side of the tree. Have a lot to do with what's going on above the ground on the left side of the tree and the right side by the same token.
17: Absolutely, you can see the uh, the other side of the coin too. If you have one side of the tree that, for whatever reason, got fertilized better or it has a <laughs> sprinkler system on that side and not on the other, you can see it be more, you know, aggressively growing and healthier <laughs> looking than the other side of the tree.
2: All we have to do is open our eyes. Well, we're we're getting into the weather. Golly, I hope the weather. And I think the weather's been probably as beautiful in Dallas uh, the past couple of weeks as it has down here. But man, we're getting into a, a good season for gardening. It just feels good to be out working, uh, unlike what it's been for two or three months. And I'm still telling people that I think one of the best things that people can do to improve their turf grass is a thin layer of compost over it at this time of the year. Do y'all do much of that yeah, in Dallas? That
17: Yeah, that's a great idea. And a lot of times people don't take the time to do it or don't want to, but it's definitely worth the effort. And it's not a big – a lot of people think it's too much trouble, to just dump it out in little piles and rake it out with the backside of a hard rake, and it's pretty easy to do
2: and you know I'm not sure exactly what it is in good compost and I'm happy to say our biggest compost supplier down here their manure based compost is now certified organic so we've got a good product that we can buy you know by the truckload that is certified organic but um i think it's one of the best pre-emergence out there i don't know what it is in the humic acids or whatever else but i know where i've used it especially on grass burrs and i probably get more questions about grass burrs than just about anything else but they just simply don't come back the next year i did a spot in my front yard that uh Oh, it's a place where we use for a, a croquet cord, and that got so thick with grass burrs that you couldn't walk through it. I put the about maybe three-eighths of an inch of compost out over that area, and I think I went from, oh, 10,000 grass burrs to maybe a total of three plants I had to pull up the following year. I don't know what it is, but that's one of the best pre-emergence I've ever found. Well, I agree with you.
17: Whatever's going on is probably the same thing that's going on with the corn gluten meal, I would imagine.
2: Yeah. Well, anything else in particular that you've come across that you want to share with everybody down in this part of the world? I continue to as you know, promote not only dirtdoctor.com but the Organic Club of America is just no, it's just such a you get so much for just such a small investment and uh just goes to such a good cause. Uh anything special going on in that regard?
17: Well, I appreciate. it. Well, just you know the art and uh the, we've got the hemp course now which the, the, both the online courses are the, the same it's just that the hemp course comes along with uh, follow-up you can call and ask questions there's kind of a consultation built in uh-huh. and the detox uh, detox the soil is really uh, part of the deal and all that uh, goes through uh, to help uh, support torque uh, as well those those the courses range from you know the uh, the 199 is the course to the hemp course is up in the close to $300 uh, range. So people wanting to detox and change programs from commercial over to, uh, uh, you know, an organic program and they want to at least consider that. We're getting really good feedback from people about how what people think about it, so it's been kind of a fun deal. I understand that you're somewhere on the road, too, where there's a whole lot of what I call herbs <laughs> and what the rest of the world calls herbs.
2: Right. Uh, that's exactly where I am. This is the 28th year. That, uh, you know, seems like some programs kind of come and go, but this one just keeps getting bigger and better every year. And so much fun for me because going on the air at 530, I'm sitting down here all alone with my crew at 530. And by nine o'clock when, uh, everything is quote, officially open, there are no doors. So it's, you know, basically open from now on. But my gosh, I've got, I've got herb booths and uh, related things totally around me today. So I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a fun day of it as well.
17: That's great. I'll tell you something to look into for me, if you would. Dallas Morning News, who I write for, just did a real nice uh, column uh, about Santa and they had a couple uh-huh. of chefs talking about how they used it to cook various things and, and, and all. And I got to the end of it, and I saw that they didn't include something that, that I at least mentioned in my uh, entry on DirtDoctor.com, and I went in and did a little bit more research, and I added to it and that is that there is apparently uh, some uh, I don't know what you call it They're, whether it's toxins or some other term would be better but but eating a whole lot of it mm-hmm. kind of like e- eating a whole lot of uh, spinach or something like that there, there are certain acids that uh, can actually be a problem I had a rabbit I thought, and I told my editor I sent her a, a note on it I had a rabbit that I Somebody had recommended me feeding uh, uh Pohasanta and Comfort, too, uh-huh. and the rabbit died. Yep. And I had, yep. I had uh, an autopsy done, and it had destroyed the uh, liver. So yep. one, of those, one of those plants, it may be just like everything else, you know, if you do it. In a reasonable volume, it wouldn't be a problem. But ask some of the other herbalists around there what they think about using ojasanta and comfrey internally.
2: Well, um, I will certainly do that. But uh, in talking to them before, there's some things in ojasanta that are actually carcinogenic, uh, from my understanding. But you know, like all things in life, I'm a believer in all things in moderation and. Uh, yeah. I, I, the comfrey in particular, I like it for external use only. I don't, I'm not really that's one that's, endless. yeah, into comfrey, into comfrey teas and things like that. But I think the same exact thing's true with Ojasanta, is that, uh, <clears throat> Ojasanta, of course, is much more widely used in cooking, but again, most of the people down here, and I've got two or three real good chefs to ask. But the way they use the ojo santa is that they may wrap things in the leaf of the ojasanta santa when they cook, right. but right. rarely is the ojo santa itself ingested. And I think that's probably a, probably a pretty good rule to follow on just about everything. And um, yeah, I I cannot see directly consuming either one of those but properly used they I
17: told my my editor because in this article it just ran these chefs were recommending actually um, blended it into the food and and I've done that myself in the past but I do it very very seldom it has a wonderful flavor to me oh yeah yeah The main way is that I've just wrapped various meats with it and used it it that way. There used to be a a chef at the uh, country club there in in Lakewood who just went crazy about me giving him the leaves, and he moved to another (laughs) club. I haven't seen him in a long time, but he used to cook with it a lot uh, as well.
2: Yeah. Well, I'll I'll do some checking and certainly let you know what I find, but it's... uh, yeah, they're they're great things, but like everything else, properly used and uh uh I just I I've had two or three people, you're the one that first talked about using the uh Comfrey uh on spider bites, especially recluse bites, and I've seen two or three people including Dan Kirby over the past couple of years with a nasty recluse bite. He had one on his wrist and he goes, to the same dermatologist I do, and we think he's the best guy in the world. And he just told Dan, he said, I've just done everything I can do. Uh, there's just nothing more in the world of medicine. And I got Dan to start rubbing the comfrey on it. And two weeks later, it was totally healed. <laughs> and much to the amazement of people in the medical community. But Dan even, uh, compounds it, uh, with lanolin and things like that as a salve to use on, uh, various animals in the clinic for different problems. So, uh, um, it is just amazing stuff, and I always think about that when I'm getting down here among a bunch of herbalists, which is uh, always a fun thing to do.
17: Yeah, the comfort. if you start using it uh, soon enough after a bite like that, you won't even have a scar. It's pretty amazing stuff. Well, then that's... We a great event there, and we'll... We'll go get ready to do mine here, and we will visit again next week.
2: We will look forward to it, Howard. And you enjoy Topeka and uh, convert a few more people up in that part of the world for us. And uh, I'm always so fascinated when you get out in an area where just organics aren't that big a deal and where you're up there getting into the Corn Belt and all, you've got your work cut out for you. So I'll sure look forward to next week's visit. You have a great day in the meantime. Thanks, Bob, and I'll see you next time. time. Look forward to it. Thank you. And we are back on the air down at the beautiful 28th Annual Herb Market. Sitting here next to me is Marilyn Magaro, who is uh, one of the primary moving forces down here. So what's going on today, Marilyn?
18: We have something extra special today. Uh, in honor not only of the herb market, but in honor of Bob Webster. We understand it's your birthday today.
2: (laughs) Now, you didn't have to say that on the air. Oh,
18: yeah, I did. (laughs) And for that, we have made a special shirt for Bob.
2: Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's that's very, very wonderful, to say the very least.
18: You have been the driving force, I'll correct you, in uh, helping us with our herb market for it must be at least 25 26 years
2: you know just almost from the very beginning i know Mm -hmm. we started doing this every fall and it's i'm very thankful for today because as we were discussing earlier I can remember a couple of Saturday mornings, we almost froze to death down here.
18: Uh, well, not only freezing to death, uh, at our first location, we about floated away with all the rain. Oh, yeah. We had, I think, 22 inches of rain that morning, and we were telling people, come on out. And it's like, oh, no, don't come, don't come. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, this, and, and it's just nothing but compliments to you guys, because I do really feel like this event just keeps getting bigger and better every year.
18: Well, thanks to you and uh, for sure uh, wow. in helping us get the word out and promoting it. And when it comes to growing and uh, knowing what works in this area, you know that that 's you you're well, you 're the expert in that you're, department
2: you 're way too kind. The pearl is such a wonderful venue too
18: it absolutely is and
2: there's so many things to do it 's not like you 're just coming to the herb market and that 's it you 're coming to the herb market, but you get to go to the farmers market while you 're here and all the shops and restaurants and things down here. I was telling uh one of our good folks here earlier that. I am gonna always live in the country, I've got to have land around me, but if I were a person who wanted to live in the city, I think this is a place I would come to, and the, having the herb market here just feels natural somehow.
18: I have to agree with you, for sure.
2: And so we've got lectures today, we've got cooking demonstrations, we yes, obviously have a wonderful selection of vendors here as well.
18: That we do, that we do, and we're honoring the herb of the year also. Which is? And that is anise hyssop, that was chosen by the International Herb Market uh, to be the Herb of the Year this year.
2: After 28 years, I don't know how you keep finding an herb. But Someday you're going to run out of herbs. But <laughs> by, by the time we get around to recycling those names, everybody will have forgotten that we already <laughs> did that one before. But uh, anything in nice just has to be good.
18: Has to be, has to be. Yeah,
2: licorice is just one of the best things in the world. I well, listen, agree. thanks for taking a minute out of your very busy morning. And thank you so much for my special T-shirt. That's absolutely incredible.
18: You're more than welcome, Bob, Thank and you. very, very well-deserved. Thanks for everything you do.
2: Oh, yeah, it's my great pleasure to be able to do so. Good to see you guys. Same here. Thank you. Thank you. All right, well, let's get uh, a few more phone calls in here. Looks like we're going to talk to Betty and Debbie and Carmen, and Betty's up first. Good morning, Betty.
19: Hey, good morning and happy Hi. birthday. <laughs> <laughs> you, you
2: deserve all that. Uh, oh, all listen, amazing. I, uh, it's, uh, well, you're, you're most kind. Thank you. How can I help today?
19: Okay. Today it's a returning question I asked you back in June. I was too far away. I shouldn't have done it. But I need to tear apart my Easter lily, and all those little things are attached to the mother, and they all look like a little stalks of uh, celery or something. And I need mm-hmm. to
6: know,
19: how do I separate it without destroying all those little roots that are coming out? And how deep do I plant it? And what kind of amendments do I put to the
2: soil? Well, first of all, you don't have to separate it. I mean, people separate them because they want to make more plants. But quite frankly, the prettiest and best Thing you could ever do is just leave them alone, let them make a big clump with multiple stems coming up and multiple flowers. So, um, I'll tell you how to separate it, but don't feel like you have to separate it. That's, you're, you're not doing the plant any big favor by doing it. But when Basically, when you want to separate these little bulblets, as they're called, coming out from the base, you just break them free of the mother plant. You just do it as gently as you can. Would have been good if uh could have done this before the new little roots started, but um, I tend to just take a plant like that, wash the soil away from those, take it out of the pot and just take your garden hose or whatever, wash away as much of the soil as you can so that you can see what you're doing. Break off the little shoots that are coming out to the sides. Let them dry for maybe, oh gosh, uh, just long enough for that broken spot to cauterize, to dry, to heal over, and then replant in any good soil mix and you'll have, you know, new plants. Now, it may take a couple of years before those bulbs as it were to get large enough that they uh that they're going to bloom but uh feel free to separate or feel free to leave it as is, whichever you prefer.
19: Oh no, these no, these aren't bulbs and they're in the ground right now. And okay. and each little stalk is is about um two to three inches across.
2: Oh okay now tell me once again i understood you to say easter lily is this what kind of lily is this
19: I, I don't know it when when it blooms uh you know back in april uh it comes up with about four or five lilies per branch but those okay. little lilies have been not coming up you know and i thought well maybe if i break them off from the mother plant but no the the these leaves that are on there. They're, they stay green all year. They never okay. really. Okay. That.
2: Okay. They're okay. Well, this ground. really, yeah, this is this is a different type of lily. This is probably what is called a crinum lily, and the thing that makes flowers is is plenty of sunlight and uh, you know regular watering but those you can divide those at almost any time and it's just a matter of slip a long-bladed shovel bill dookie's sharpshooter whatever you want to call it down just next to the big plant and just kind of dig away these things are so hardy i don't think you could kill them if you tried but yeah. just kind of cut and okay. move away each little individual plant, and uh, and just repot them. And like I say, it'll take me sometimes a year or two to get big enough where they bloom. But, uh, yeah, this is some sort of crinum lily, and because they are spring-blooming, we always try to divide these things opposite the season of bloom. So spring-blooming, we divide in the fall, so do this uh, at your earliest convenience.
19: Okay, and these are called crinum
2: Yes, I suspect. Can't tell you for sure without seeing, but C-R-I-N-U-M.
19: Okay, I can maybe look it up on my computer and see if the match is up. Okay.
2: I think you will. Now, there are lots of different crinums, so, oh. um, but I'm pretty sure that, uh, that that's what this is.
19: Thank you. That's uh, exactly what I need. And you have a good happy birthday rest of the day.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much. We'll talk again. <laughs> Goodbye. Alright, let's get back to the phone lines and see if we can get Debbie and Carmen both in. Good morning, Debbie.
0: Hi, good morning, Bob. Happy birthday. This is
2: the <laughs> And uh, Thank you, thank I, you.
0: I, ironically, I'm heading to my hometown of Poteet, Texas for an O'Reilly Auto Parts store grand opening and ribbon cutting. And so I noticed y'all played a commercial. It's like, wow. <laughs> so, well,
2: that so, sounds like so fun.
0: Oh my gosh, yes. Well, I'm the account manager, you know, for O'Reilly Auto Parts and Mitchell, and so they're both incredibly great companies. A privilege to be their account manager. Good. That said, God willing, uh, we will be able to keep our family farm and potie in the family, and included in that, uh, there's our homestead. It has 150-year-old oak trees all around the house, and so I know time is short, so I'm not going to go into it, but also if I'm able to get it, part of it would be 4.4 acres and then like 220 acres. So the 4.4 acres, I'll call you later so you can give me some ideas because just like you said, living in the city is one thing, but going back to... The community that made such a difference in my life, I can't wait. I hope I can uh, make it happen, but I'll call you later so you'll be able to get Carmen in.
2: Well, that'll be good, but let me tell you one other thing while I've got you. When you're thinking about subdividing property, check with your local groundwater district because I don't know anything about where you are down in Poteet, but in the hill country, uh, it's uh, for an individual well, we have a six acre minimum for a lot size, so be sure before you do the subdivision that you 're going to have enough land uh, to get oh, no. what you it. need on there don't
0: to do subdi- i don 't want to do a subdivision i 'm hoping that we can keep everything intact and we already well no, have no.
2: no I understand farm. but what i 'm saying if you 're going to subdivide it where you end up with a few acres for yourself, just be sure you get a big enough track No, i I'm very much in hopes that less and less oh, land will get divided oh, yeah. up. But, uh, oh, yes. Well, yeah. Debbie, I appreciate it. It. That
0: it has it. Thank you very much.
2: You're sure welcome. Thank you. All right, let's finish the show up with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Uh, good morning, sir. Happy birthday. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> thank you so very much. Oh, How geez. can I help today? Well, I uh, just discovered I have a... Uh,
12: uh, oval, roughly an oval-shaped cavity in my pecan tree where a limb was cut off. It's about uh, 22 inches long, 15 inches wide, and a depth of about 13 and a half inches. And I had been told that uh, put an expanding foam in the hole and then painting over with latex paint and the color to match the bark is what you're supposed to do. Is that correct?
2: Well, that was probably the advice that everybody would have given you five or ten years ago. Um, oh. The advice that I'm getting from arborists these days is don't do anything. Um, oh. That they, The tree goes through a process that is called compartmentalization, where the tree has already walled off that area, in effect. It's already built up a different tissue inside to keep any problem from spreading any further. Uh, there may be, a li- it's possible that somewhere down the road there will be some issue with uh, structural integrity, that it may be a little bit more prone to storm damage, but filling that cavity is not going to do anything to change that. And that if uh, if the um, area is still largely intact around, my arborist friend that I think is the best in the business was telling me that they're finding that even a hollow tree is 80% as strong as that tree was before it had any hollow in it. So at this point, I'm going to have to tell you just try to keep a family of raccoons from nesting in there, but don't do anything at all. The tree's going to deal with that on its own and already has.
12: So that it would be stable enough, uh, even if it's very close to a house.
2: I would have an arborist look at it uh, to tell you that for sure, but what I can tell you for sure is you're not going to improve the situation by filling that cavity in no matter what you do, so you'll actually be damaging the tree further to do that. So uh, don't do anything to the cavity, but you might want to get somebody to take a look at it just to be on the safe side.